five o'clock dinner way too early. Yeah, I can't properly. What are you? Eat food what are you? Eighty years old? That it's five o'clock's too early. No, you're, why are you eating at five o'clock? What are you? So that I so that I could get here for seven. That's you true, didn't get true. here for seven. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine if I didn't have dinner at five. Oh, so wait, so hold on. Here, here's a real question. What what time do you guys actually go to bed at? I'm gonna go to bed at. Yeah. Why do you want to know? Because I want to know if like if five o'clock isn't if you're going to bed at seven p.m. All of a sudden, 5 p.m. dinner. Late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. I go to bed anywhere between, I'd say, 11 and 1 in the morning. Yeah, okay. And what time zone are you in? I don't know. EST, I think. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm just slowly paring down to your location. <laughs> you, you, you know, I left, in, I left in our city in the last episode. I know. I know. You did. All right. We're actually, you're not in EST right now. Because we don't have daylight savings going on right now. What? Is I, don't, I don't know yeah. how time zones work. I don't know much about geography. I don't or, really know a lot about it. Or you could just say ET, yeah. Eastern Time. Yeah, okay. extraterrestrial. Yeah. Um, I, I like to aim for 1030 because I set my alarm for 545. Okay. Um, respect. But over... Do you ever wake up for 545? Yeah, every morning oh, because my alarm's going off. Oh, I, I usually I go back to bed after the yeah. first alarm. Oh, I, I definitely hit the snooze. You suck. I hit the snooze. So I, I hit the first snooze and then I get up at, at six. I get so mad at Julia because Julia will set... An alarm every five minutes for the hour following that's her wake me, up. That's yeah. me. And so what, what she does is she wakes up and she'll either snooze or turn it off. But then she leaves it there. And I'm like, Julie, I'm not letting you back in this bed. Leave. Your alarm has gone off. I don't want you waking up. <laughs> and then she's like, okay. And then she leaves and her phone goes off in the next five minutes. Maddie, no. Maddie sets alarms uh, for like, okay, 8.51, 8.53. Eight, eight, uh, That's what snooze is for. Just yes. wake up. Yeah. What is hard about? No, that? no, no. no. I, I think I do think you need a buffer time because it's hard to go from dead of sleep to like wide awake. So that's why I think like one snooze. You know what? I'll go from dead of sleep to still tired but vertical and not lying in bed. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times in the morning, especially when I wake up at five a.m. Yeah, five I five. feel sick. Like if I like get up right away, I feel like yeah. Especially when I like because I aim for ten thirty, but sometimes you get to bed like twelve thirty one, so you get four hours sleep, and that's yeah. like that's rough. See, I, I was gonna say I stay up a lot later than you, but I know that I wake up a lot later than you. Yeah, I'm I'm waking up at nine a.m. Mm-hmm. and I'm going to bed at like two thirty. Yeah, so I'm like if that happens. I'm like well, that's still six hours of sleep, yeah. like yeah. You know, six and a half. The the routine I was in where I slept the best was I would go up to bed, and this, you guys are gonna make fun of me for this. Yeah. I'd go up to bed, I'd light a you'd candle. Have, well, first of all, first of all, you'd have the most perfectly made bed. You know, yes. this guy uh, no, make, I, makes I, his bed every I like morning. My, I make my bed every morning, yeah, straight up. He kisses his vegan candles. <laughs> <laughs> I would light a candle. I would um, I would stretch for about 10 That's minutes, a real one. Minutes. That's actually the truth. Stretch right before bed. It's and in great. the morning. Um, I know, I need to. I, I don't I'm, stretch I've, right. I've been missing my daily yoga. I'm yeah. stretching right now. Stretching these brain muscles. That's good. That's good. I'd stretch and then I'd read uh, like a chapter of a book and then I'd go to bed. And I'd sleep great. Sleep great. I I also stopped drinking about an hour or two hours before. To be clear, you're not saying that you're an alcoholic. You're saying that you're drinking water. Drinking water. Start of the day, he starts drinking immediately. Two beers. He wakes up, he has a drink. He makes his bed, he has a drink. Can I say, Maddie and I went to Barry. Uh, in New Year's, don't put this in the podcast because I'm it, putting it in the podcast. I got it. <laughs> it's in the podcast. Um, so we went and we went to Barry for uh, New Year's, and we went to the rec room, which is like a big arcade place. Sure. I think I talked to you guys about yeah. it. I felt so weird being the only person that didn't drink until or, I realized or eat flesh. Well, that's true. Until I realized how much money I wasn't saving. 
You what were, a weird way of you saying You weren't that. saving? Like, I was not spending... Because you go out to drink, and you're spending, like, what, $8 minimum I, for I, each drink? Okay. Wait, why did you say you... He, 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 he's misspeaking. He was shocked how much money he saved okay. by not drinking. Well, I wasn't shocked, I thought the I was story happy was, knowing that. I thought the story was going to be, like, he was spending so much money on non-alcoholic drinks that yeah. he was like, I'm not even saving money. Well, here's what upsets me. Like, well, not upsets me, but I'm like, you're a brave man. I am thinking about going... You guys know uh, uh, Copa? Copa Cabana? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about going there with my friend. In Niagara Falls. Uh, well, they have a couple locations, but uh, they... Uh, it's all-you-can-eat meat, and if you go on a certain day of the week, I you can, can pay an increased price... For steak. In order to, no, well, not just steak, but also all-you-can-drink. Oh, yeah. So, and then my friends are like, we want to go for the all-you-can-drink night. And they invited, like, a group of six of us. And three of the group of six don't drink. Nice. Was Eric invited? No. Do they uh, eat meat? Uh, well, they do eat meat. That's okay. true. But I'm like, guys, let's just go on the non-drinking night, and the three of us that drink will just pay for our drinks. I'll go on the non-meat night. Okay, this yeah, is gonna they, be have a, they have a solid bar. This is going <laughs> to be such an annoying theme now what? for the podcast. What no? Like just the knowledge of the audience. Do you want me to cut the fact of what he is? Like, sure. How I'll, how many how many points how many points in time of this podcast is Jeremiah going to be like? I'm a vegan, guys. <laughs> That's true. I gotta say, throughout how long have I known you now? Three years. I I, I don't think say it's a accurate. year and a half. Year and a half. Let's say a year and a half. So throughout the year and a half I've known you, you've not mentioned that you were a vegan once, and yet now that you're not eating meat, you're mentioning you're a vegan all the time. <laughs> we went to Gen Con a year and a half ago. Yeah, you we, just we, met we him. We barely knew. Jeremiah. I didn't. I didn't know him for. We thought I we, barely knew him. I thought you guys were homies. No, we were friends. That's like, why I knew. We, we, I knew we were very me, fast friends. I you were standing over by me, and they were sitting in the parking lot. I remember, lot, and he was sitting and in my chair. And I was like, "Why don't we invite Jeremiah? Clearly, you like him. So it sounds like why a good you, time." Why did you say you wanted to invite me? You didn't know me. Because I, I trusted Ian's judgment. I, I was sad that other people weren't going because I was like, I thought it was gonna be a big trip with like a bunch of us. Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of turned into so a really small thing. Well, looking back on it, I don't know why I trusted Ian's judgment because it's not like I liked any of the other. Uh, you were you famously hated most of our community. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm here right now. You what? bribed me to be here. I well, wasn't you even supposed to, think, to be here. You had to think of it like this: you drive, uh, forty minutes eastbound. From the location that I mentioned in the last episode to get here. Northeast bound. Northeast bound, just in case they're geocaching. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So you've gotten further from the community you hate. That's true. Not that I love the Mississauga. Not that I love the uh, Mississauga community. Not, Redacted. Redacted. Not, not that we love the community. The Northeast minutes, community. For, for 40 minutes northeast of the community that we are normally in. No, actually, though, I was talking with, um, with someone that lives in this area. I don't care. I live in Mississauga. It's fine. AP Mac, yeah. Alex, um, regional champion. Yeah. And he's honestly just such a nice guy. Like, yeah. I just messaged him on Discord, and he was like, oh, I haven't heard from you in a while. How's life? How's it going? We missed you at Gen Con this year. And I was like, you're just a really nice guy. Yeah. Did you tell yeah. him you got engaged? I did. And he was, he was popping off. That's great. Talking you know, about how happy he was a- for me. AP a- Mac is notably a super nice guy. I will say, I've always been nervous to go to Mississauga events yeah. because... I've had the most negative Digimon experiences with the Mississauga scene. I had someone try to fight me. I remember he that. He kicked the table at me. Yeah. He was he was moving that table towards me. Yeah. No. I was like, this is a guillotine coming at me. I, I think I got scared off of card games because of the Mississauga community because I played Vanguard here, at, also at Untouchables. And back then, I was like, wow, card game players are fucking weird and like do not deserve human contact. Hasn't and I just changed. stopped. Has <laughs> not changed. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. We were actually talking about that at work today. 
And then they said, you know, it could be worse. We could be Smash players. Ugh. So you guys picked up my Card Fight Vanguard cards earlier. Okay. And they were very tiny. They were very small. Were... Now, when, when I was a kid, I, I played you guys my first card game. I was like, wow, I can shuffle these cards. This is so nice. And then, um, I mean, I had Pokemon cards, which are standard card size, but it wasn't until Duel Masters where I started playing with cards that size and was like, these are harder to shuffle than Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And in that case, my solution wasn't to grow up and uh, figure life out and learn to shuffle cards better. No, it was to grab my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, grab the Duel Masters cards, and actually take scissors and no! cut the Duel Masters you cards cut your down. cards to fit? However. You know what? That's actually the, the lesser of the two evils. I thought he was going to say my solution was to pile shuffle. Oh! <laughs> was it? Was Now, my solution was not to just trim it and use a Yu-Gi-Oh card as a reference. It was to just approximate. Just be like, yeah, this looks like the right number. Your parents cut. were like not worried about the value of the cards They at didn't all. care. They're my cards. My parents grew up playing like, you know, they used to throw cards at walls and stuff. For their I, I also, are you telling me you didn't learn how to throw cards? Well, no. Wait, but really. what about like your other toys? Did your parents not care if you just like smash them around and stuff and broke them? I don't know. Did your parents care if you took scissors to Gabe? I don't remember. <laughs> Everything I owned was so precious. Gabe, Gabe shot a Beyblade in my, into my garage before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good dexterity though. Uh, so anyways, so yeah, I uh, I straight up like murdered my my old deck of Duel Masters cards. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I didn't do it with my Pokemon cards because that would have been awful. Like, I mean, I were they were they worth anything? Did you like? Well, so I mean, there's some base set cards that I had in there. They weren't great condition, but they weren't like chopped around the outside. They weren't yeah. circumcised. Yeah. Well, I went. Uh, I think I told you this before, but I uh, I went back to like my old Magic cards after having not played in a long time and having played draft. And I was like, I'm gonna get into some other games. And I got my buddy to just go through a bunch of my bulk with me from my drafting days. And, you know, I love, well, I love purple decks and Digimon. Yeah. So I loved black decks and magic. Mm -hmm. And I had, like, two or three Liliana of the Veils, which I was like, oh, I see online that there are Lilianas that are worth $2 and Lilianas that are worth $200. Yep. So I have no idea from my lack of knowledge about the card market. You gotta market. know that little symbol in the bottom right corner <laughs> that tells you what set it's from. You gotta know that little symbol right That's there. That's the one that does it. Yep. So, uh, so uh, long story short, I made $202. Nice, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was worried you were gonna say $4. <laughs> 202 is pretty good. Yeah, so I went out, I, I, got a, I got a Commander deck and I got a Pokemon starter deck and then I didn't play Commander and I didn't play Pokemon. So it was a good investment. Did you play Yu-Gi-Oh! And then did you follow up, grab your Magic cards and cut them <laughs> cut around them. the corners? Well, see, my, my thing is I came from Magic. So I started, when I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! I played Ghost Trick, I told you before. So what I did is I got Sticky Pack and I put it around the edge of my Yu-Gi-Oh! card to make it larger <laughs> so get bigger. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Arata Sonata Podcast. I'm Noah. I don't like Yu-Gi-Oh that much. I like Yu-Gi-Oh, but I'm also Ian. <laughs> I'm Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, what card games do you like that much? Duel Masters. No. <laughs> I cut all those cards in half. Uh, no, I like I like every card game to an extent. I like the fact that cards... Future card buddy fight's cool. Do you, do you like games because they're card games? Or do you like card games because you enjoy how they play? I don't like all card games. Like, just because something is on trading cards doesn't mean, like, I want to go play it. It's like, if it has interesting mechanics to me, then... Oh, interesting. You never played Major League Baseball? <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like you when you look for games on Steam, you search out digital card games. Yeah, you do. You like deck builders and roguelikes. Deck building roguelike games, yeah, I think they're good. Yeah, they're really fun. I mean, 
the I think the thing that does it for me is like card games have a level of strategy uh, and problem solving that vary every single time. It's like puzzle solving every turn, I'd say. Like my favorite thing in Hearthstone was a lot of the time just like learning, trying to like solve a board. So like, how do I trade effectively? How do I get the most damage in for what I'm doing? How do I get the most value out of my cards? How do I spend it in accordance with like how much mana I have at a time? Yeah, all the little micro decisions yeah. add up and it makes for a fun little well, see, mini game within the game. Th that's actually exactly what, uh, this is kind of convenient because that's what I was going to talk about today, which is the idea of agency in card games. Yeah. Uh, because the reality is, is that like coming over from a fighting game perspective, I have always had a sensation that I should have access to every tool I have in my toolkit available at all points in time. You know, there's obviously exceptions, super meter, and uh, sometimes like moves have to come after other moves. But card games are built on the exact opposite mantra, which is I have a 50 card deck and in hand on turn one, I have five of them. Mm -hmm. And of those five, half, sometimes all of them are not playable. Yeah. And that is a very different dynamic because I don't get to make the same amount of choices. And yes, I have to solve a puzzle, but I don't always want to solve a puzzle. Sometimes I just want to be able to present things to the board. Um, play Digimon. Play Digimon. But just true. Digimon will allow me to play an ultimate on turn one if I want to. You coming from fighting games gives you like a lot of objectivism, I think, when it comes to how you make your decisions. Um I think the same thing happens. Like I, I played a lot of chess during the the. I know four hours a week. A little bit. Of, yeah, I played a lot of chess. Um, not that I got good at chess, but I, I started to like really appreciate what it was because I was making these strategic decisions, but I didn't have to rely on like, oh well, hopefully I draw this because it'd be really good. Um, I just had like correct moves available to me, and it's like you either make the right play in that board state or you don't. I think part of what makes chess more boring to me is that. Now, you obviously get the deviations, but a lot of the game comes down to um, established openings and then closers and then the mid game. And I think the mid game the is where the most... The early game, the mid game, the late game. Mm -hmm. I just want a game. Yeah. Well, the mid game, I think, is where the most deviations are. And it's, yeah. it's funny because in my head, I'm thinking about solving a Rubik's Cube right now. And so much of it comes down to algorithms. But there's that middle stage where you're, um, you're doing the first two layers. And that's where it's the most like free form. Um, you could you can use algorithms for the whole thing, but that's that part is my favorite part of the Rubik's cube, and I'm sure it's the best part of chess is the mid game. And card games are kind of like that the whole time. Mm -hmm. Is there's that randomness that you have to problem solve because it's not just oh this is my opening pawn to e4 mm -hmm. knight to I only know pawn there's to e4. <laughs> yeah, there are significantly fewer states of the game where you go I've seen exactly this before, yeah. yep. especially because. At the end of the day, in most situations, I've not fought, seized my opponent this turn. I don't know what they're holding on their grip. Yeah. Coming from fighting games, I'm used to the idea that at the start of the round, I'm able to do everything in my toolkit. And what I choose to do is determines what I like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I go over to card games and I go, I have five cards in my hand. And half of them are unplayable. And maybe two of them are lands. I, I'm going to say this right now. If you two boot up melee, Jeremiah's going to feel like he has zero agency in the game. Oh, because you think he's just going to get slapped around? Yeah. That's true, but just because he made choices that put him into a bad situation doesn't mean he didn't no, make choices. I, yeah, I was going to say... Like, right, but during that bad situation, because you said um, having the ability to do something throughout every stage of the game, and I guess technically you got DI, you got SDI, but he's in mid-combo, hit-stun, he's he's done. He had, like He can DI and that's it. 
And a lot of times, first of all, he's probably not even going to know about DI. And second of all, he's going to feel like he has your agency. Maybe. But I still think that he made choices at each point in the game to get him to that point. And even if there is a punish window, because obviously in most fighting games, you don't have DI, you have at most burst. Yep. Uh, the fact that he made choices, every available uh, tool in his arsenal, sometimes you got to just hold it. All right. You know what? This podcast feels like it's going to be a debate night because I think that you two are on one side of this and I'm on a slightly different angle okay. for this. Um, because because uh, you've not played a lot of fighting games. No, it's just game. Smash and a little bit of like Street Fighter and you know some Pokken and okay. Tekken. Um, but <laughs> okay, maybe a little bit more fighting games. But it's way more than me. I, I'm talking about. I'm talking about agency here because sure. your initial definition is um, being Ability able to, to make choices. Yeah, at every step of the way. Um, but then you just talked about how his his decisions, his age, like his choices, led him to a spot where he's unable to make those choices in the moment, right? Yeah, he he. He's entered a different game state through which now his choices are much more limited or restricted in some way. Now, to me, I view card games, whereas even card games where you don't have... Um, instant speed. Instant speed. So what you do on your turn is what you get to do. I view those as the choices, the agency that you make leads you to the position that you end up in. Well, that's like chess, right? You make a move and then you wait for your opponent to respond. Exactly. And I think I think that's still def- definitely a form of agency. I don't know how much people enjoy it. Um, well, so I, I was thinking about this earlier. The reality is, is like if you play, I'm going to keep going back to fighting games. That's obviously where my background is. Uh, in a lot of fighting games, there's characters that have randomized mechanics. Like, you know, they'll, they'll use a special move and they'll do variable amounts of damage or sometimes a different attack will come out or, or startup will be different. So uh, Faust is a good example where he summons different items, and you don't know what's going to summon until... Faust is who from what? Faust is a uh, guy who looks like me, Diaboromon, uh, from Guilty Gear. Oh, uh, no, I know Faust. Wait, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do know Faust. He's got a paper bag on his head. Yeah. So he summons random items. That's so sick. i got to say, paper bag on your head, maybe with a cutout or a drawn-on face, such a sick... I honestly... And he's a medical doctor. I love um, face-covering designs on characters. Tokyo like, Ghoul head? Yeah, like Mr. F... Um, oh yeah, yeah in pocket paragons he's got like that smiley face mask i just think masks are you're so big assassination cool. classroom fan yeah i actually <laughs> haven't seen that but the smiley face yeah. guy, i i want to watch it um but and like i played world of warcraft a lot right and every single character i had always had some kind of face covering just i don't know why kakashi I it, head i think it's fun i think i think it's fun to like cover up um but anyway i, I was saying Faust, he he presents information to both uh, my opponent and me at the same point in time and that is a bit of randomness and that is a bit of hidden information. But we both get access to that hidden information at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we both are able to react in real time to whatever comes out. The difference between that and card games is there's hidden information. So you might know that you only have five rookies in hand and you're just, you know, all you can do is go in on me. But from my side of the table, I, you put down an Agumon and an Agumon X and I'm like, I'm sweating. Yeah. Sounds like what you want is Beelzebub. Let's mill three cards and we'll both get access to the <laughs> info at the same time. Well, it is actually, I think, a large part of why I go towards purple. I think that like uh, it changes a lot of the game into an open information state. Mm-hmm. And having more of the game be a, uh, a knowledgeable game state to both players allows more interaction to occur. Um, which I think, uh, from my background, is something I tend to lean towards. I guess. I think um, if we're like touching on Digimon here think that the open information just instills a sense of dread in the person good (laughs) because we have like you say it's open information and there's more interaction but the reality is is there's very little trash interaction at the moment so can we 
let's talk about a game we want to shout out. Pocket Paragon. Because, yes, a, a, about a, a fighting game card game, something uh, to, to merge our worlds. Yeah, so the three of us, we, we went to uh, in, we went to Indiana for Gen Con. For Gen Con. And we found... We, we met Brian upon, McKay. Yeah, we stumbled upon Brian McKay Soul, and Souls Game Studios. They have a card game called Pocket Paragons. It's a fighting game card game where... Which you, is one of few. I'll be, to, yeah. be, to be fair, it is not uh, the only concept like that. We have Yomi, we have Exceed, uh, we have BattleCon, I think it is. Uh, there's, there's definitely other games that have tried that idea. There's a, but most of these games, and the reason Pocket Paragon stands out to me yeah. is because it's not a full deck of cards. Your move set is relegated to six cards, all of which are standard symbols across all characters. Yes, yeah, technically a full deck of six cards. It's a full, a full deck, deck of, of six, six cards. cards, but it's not. It, you have all card. You start the game with all the cards in your deck available to you. Well, for most characters, yeah. yes. I, I would say for most people. It is uh, functionally not a card game because there, there's no shuffle mm -hmm. at any point in Pocket Paragon. No, you just pick up and play, uh, which is, is great. Yeah, cards are tokens, but there's no need for them to be cards. I think the defining element of cards is the act of shuffling. I shuffle the cards in my hand sure. so that when you counter me and bounce it back to my hand, and then I go to put down a card, you don't know which one it is. So the way the game is played is uh, both players put down one of the cards from their hands. Simultaneously. Simultaneously, face down, and then they reveal it and... You look at the symbols and decide which move counters which. Yeah. It's um, it's funny that you guys are talking about this because I wanted to talk about interaction tonight yeah. because I think that falls under the blanket of uh, agency. For sure. And um, I was discussing with somebody what they think interaction is. And that's a um, that's basically being able to make choices during your opponent's turn. Yes. Um, and answer anything that they do during your opponent's turn. And to I, me, I was like, Pocket Paragons, play your turns at the same time. Yeah. That's maximum interaction right it there. Is, it is very high level. Uh, yeah. si simultaneous turns is a very unique game idea that I actually don't think I've seen very much in card games. Mm -hmm. uh, usually it's Runeterra. I've played Runeterra. Runeterra is my favorite one that is done. Runeterra isn't really simultaneous turns, though. No, it is. But, no, you're, but, not, but, you're, but you're passing... Like, the People have different priorities. But yes, yeah, so you, you, you have turns. Yeah, functionally your turns are being played at the same time. Okay. Yeah, like a, it, like you get a reset. Both players share their mana pool, and their mana pool resets at the start of the uh, at the start of the round. And you take turns playing cards back and forth. See, now I lost my flow. I don't know. What I'm Do doing. you want me to try? Go ahead. Pocket Paragons is a it's, it's it's really a card game in name only. You have six cards in your deck, and you don't shuffle them up. You just pick up all six cards, and you'll decide every turn. You'll see, hmm, I've got a rock, I got a paper, I got a scissors, I got three others. We're not going to get into them. I'm going to play one of them. And you're gonna, my opponent will play one of their six as well, and we face both down. face down, and we will both reveal simultaneously what cards we chose, and then a battle between those cards will occur. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my card will counter your card, which will give me an energy, which is very akin to a fighting game super meter. Mm -hmm. uh, and other times we'll just resolve damage. Both of us, you know, get to hit out on each other. That's all that really occurs. And then once you've used a card, it goes to your discard pile, and you have to play face up, face up. and you have to play a special card, a rest card. To get all of your cards back. Mm -hmm. So the game really cycles as we ha we have a deck, quote unquote, but they're just tokens. They're not cards. I don't shuffle them up. My opponent knows everything I have access to. And most importantly, what I was saying before, I have access to every ability from the first turn of the game. What um what card games have their trash, discard, whatever you want to call it, graveyard, face down? Um, Very rare, but there are games that have cared about the order of their trash. Mm -hmm. right? I was uh, just wondering because um, I feel like I had... He specified face up for pocket paragons, yeah, yeah. and I I think it's a common thing with newer players when they play games to put their 
trash or discard graveyard, whatever, face down. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering where that desire, that want comes from. I think it's just from. the thought that, like, it's just out of the game. Like, a lot of new players probably just think of their discard as being, like, it's a discard. I'm not going to touch it again. Yeah. Uh, and it actually takes a little bit of awareness of card games to know, hey, discard is a is a zone. It's not actually a uh, removed from game location. Mm-hmm. So you guys don't have any card games off the top of your head that none in my, in my experience. No. Mm-hmm. There are card games that like take exile card, face down. Yeah, take like Yu Gi Oh does that. Yeah, they exile cards face down. Okay, like remove them from the game face down. Um, but the reason I wanted to make that distinction of face up is it because each card you play, your opponent knows what's left in your hand. Yes. They know that every character has their their rock paper scissors and then three other cards. Yeah, their rest, execute, and your shield. Yes. Or rock or paper or scissors. Rivals characters, they uh, oh. they have two of uh, elements, but they don't oh, have a shield. Oh, they do, yes. You're right, you're right. Okay, so in most cases, you know what your opponent has based on what's in their discard pile. So it influences your decision going forward. That allows for a little bit more agency about what your your next play is going to be because you have more information available to you. So more information but not necessarily more choices to make your choices also get limited as you play the game too but you understand what your opponent might do and what their agency is a little bit better which helped inform yours so less cards less pieces involved can actually present a a better better agency for you as a player what does what is agency to you because we heard ian talk about it what is it to you agency is how many decisions you get to make during any given period of a game so, also, it's a, it's a number of decisions. To well, you. I think it's I think it's just like the availability of making decisions. Okay. How often are you allowed to make decisions, and how many decisions are available to you? Yeah. Having I think it's just having deci- decisions there for you to make, versus just not being able to play the game. So I I think there's a good example from a game that we all played. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sensation that we all got, I think early on in Digimon, there was a lot more of this. Uh, just feeling like okay, there's no boosts in the game, there's no trainings in Digimon back mm-hmm. then. We just felt like, hey, all I want to be able to do is put a rookie down and then go into a champion on my first turn. Mm-hmm. I just want to build up. I just want to build up and give my opponent as few resources as possible. Um, I think a lot of games feel like that. You play Magic, you're playing a black deck, I want to put down a Swamp, I want a Thought Seize. Yeah. That's a great first turn. It's a great opening, yeah. Um, so the reality is within Magic, if I don't have enough mana on my first turn, I can't cast the spells in my hand. Yeah. In Digimon, if, all, if I don't have a rookie... I'm going to have to overpay to put something on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that happens a lot in card games where you have only three, one reasonable choice. Three-cost champions, though. Three-cost champions do help. Play a Numemon, put a free uh, Satsuki underneath it. It's, it's funny. Um, recently, I saw somebody talking online about how they would like for... Um, it was in a post about people calling Digimon cards garbage because the bulk is worthless to them. And someone talked about how they wish they made uncommons and commons better. And there are quite a few powerful uncommon and commons. A lot, a lot of time. Well, especially in BT fourteen. Yeah, a, a lot of times <laughs> it's kind of what makes the deck tick. Um, yeah, it's not the boss monster, but it's the engine, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but they brought up how it'd be cool to see five cost ultimates because I think it would. They said it would be more value, and they don't think it'd be too strong. And you can tell it's a newer player because we do have that. We, we used to run them a lot. Yeah, we we well, used also to have the aces that just came out. Right, but they're talking about vanillas right now and oh, uncommon commons. Sure. Um, but yes, we do but have the four cost aces. Siren Mon. Yeah, yeah Siren exactly. Siren, exists, but Siren Mon is Mon's on Waru Mon's Mon, yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see that someone saying they don't think it'd be too broken because it was a card that even back then was not too powerful. It was nice to put in the deck. And now we're at a point where 
you're never gonna see them no. realistically you're never gonna see a five cost vanilla no um because on paper really all it's presenting is would you like to pay one memory for all of this text on this card and the, the effects on cards are just strong enough that one memory you'll take it every time yep in fighting games i've got 50 moves that I have access to. Mm -hmm. Some of them are better or worse. So even some of them, I might just be like, okay, well, this isn't a reasonable move to do. It's it's punishable on block. It's you know not enough reward. It's it's just risky as a whole. But just because it's a bad move, there are situations that it will be good in. And the fact that I have the ability to make that choice matters to me. Well, in in Pocket Paragons, that's another kind of... It's, it's a parallel, right, with fighting games. But because you're playing an exhaustion system of like you play an ability and it's represented by a card and then that card is no longer in your hand it's in the discard pile you no longer have the ability to make that move whereas in a fighting game you can just input the action again but in pocket paragons you have to wait until you can rest to get the ability back to do that and in getting your your abilities back is not as simple because there's the whole execution mechanic yeah. so like if your opponent plays the right card when you're resting to try to get your cards back you just lose the game it's interesting because right now Myself and a lot of fighting game players are playing Grand Blue, Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising, because uh, we just love adding you know additional words to the end of fighting games. Makes a different game. Uh, <laughs> Don't put two anymore. But um, Grand Blue in particular has cooldowns as a part of its system, like similar to like League oh, of Legend cooldowns okay. for special moves. Yeah. Um, so we are going through a situation similar to that, where like once we've used a move, we're locked out from it. Sometimes it's you know so fast that it's irrelevant, and sometimes it is agonizingly slow and i'm like all right I'm, i'll see you in 10 seconds special move do you have cdr in grand blue uh cooldown reduction moves yeah. um so no uh there there used to be cooldown extension uh for like you would influence your opponent's cooldowns if you did took certain actions but i don't think it's in this version of the game functionally at all now i have a question for that because um for cooldown extension to you, that's agency on your part, right? Because now you yeah, get to I've taken an, I've taken an action that influences my opponent. Now, when you take that action, do you think you're taking away agency from your opponent? I see what you're saying. Um, no, no. I, again, I, so I, I tried to express this uh, a bit earlier, but I think that there's a pretty big difference between punishing a mistake and removing agency. The reality is they've put themselves in a situation where their move is on cooldown, that was done with the knowledge that their cooldown could be extended. Mm -hmm. So they still they put themselves in that situation, right. um, and they could have avoided it if they had truly wanted to. Yeah, I think that that goes along with um, again my earlier uh, comment about reading about um, interaction online, and somebody was talking about how Digimon has no interaction. Recently, they introduced Blast Evos, and that's some interaction because their definition is being able to. Make choices on your opponent's turn. Yeah. And so to them, somebody mentioned how Yellow Vaccine has a lot of interaction. Because it's a slower deck, there's much more back and forth. And he said that Venusmon is the opposite of interaction. Because it makes it so that you can't do anything. You can't interact with them. I disagree with that entirely. Yeah, it, there were some there were some interesting <laughs> takes. Interesting takes, yeah. Because yeah. to me, interaction is any time you interact with the opponent, right? Yeah. So if I swing over one of your suspended Digimon... I'm interacting with you. Yeah. You made a choice to suspend it. I made a choice to swing over it. And just because you can't stop that doesn't mean that there was no interaction in it. I mean, interaction versus agency. Agency is like your ability to make the choice. And then interaction is like how your choice affects another individual. 
So, right. so with that discussion in mind, um, so similar to the cooldown extension, if I use a cooldown and then you extend it on me, I can't do anything to stop you from extending it, right? Yeah, that makes because sense. Because I've already used the cooldown. Yeah. So I had no agency in you extending my cooldown. Yeah. But I had agency when I chose to use the cooldown. Now, does that mean that I didn't have agency in the uh, situation? Or I did, it was just er present earlier. It was present earlier. A choice you yeah. made had a consequence. Yeah. Right. And that consequence is being um, uh, capitalized on by your opponent. Yeah. So in card games, even when I can't do something on my opponent's turn, I still view myself as having full agency because... I, I, I get where you're coming from. I actually, I, I do agree with you. I, I don't think that uh, Digimon is a game that has low or no agency. I actually... Uh, but what, I, what, what, what it does come down to is ultimately there are more complex choices that often come about as a result of the presence of instant speed cards. A good right. example with magic is leaving mana untapped in order to prepare for a counterspell during your opponent's turn. So I've fundamentally played below tempo. I'm playing a slower game than I should have been playing, but I'm leaving myself open to make more choices during your turn once more information is revealed. You're also bluffing. Like, what if you don't have a, a way to interact? At, with your at the end of the day, on if I'm playing a blue deck and I have no second turn play, mm -hmm. I'll, I, yeah, that's pure bluff. Yeah, I'm just yeah, like I'm holding a counter. I'm holding. A, I'm bluffing. That I'm holding a counter but, spell, and that's it. But does that make if your say your opponent casts a creature, right? One of their best cards. They play a creature and then you counter it. Was them playing into that? Like a wrong decision. No, and in fact, in fact, what what I would refer to that as is, is frequently what happens in Magic is people bait out counters. They yeah. bait out responses yeah. because they're like, "Hey, I have." Like, if you're playing a combo deck, well, so I think what he's saying is that if you're playing your best creature into the counter, then that was a misplay, mm -hmm. and what they should have done was bait, like you're describing. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Okay, yeah, yeah. but then they may not have access to uh, anything to bait with, and that's where we get into again card games. They're they are closed information systems, mm. and those closed information systems necessitate a level of randomness in decks. Who doesn't like to gamble? I have to say, <laughs> sometimes you just have to say, well, I hope they don't have this in hand. Well, yeah. that, that, that's the thing. is like if, if my card sticks on the board, then I'm I win really the game. Position, yeah. Right? Yeah. If they can't remove this, then I'm just going to run away with the game. That is a fun part of card yeah, games. Yeah, that's, that's what's, exactly. That's you what's guys like about. the reveal. I, 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 I don't like the reveal. I don't like the, if you have played this card, you win. I like the... Uh, well, no, it's not necessarily that, but it's more of a, a risk or reward type situation okay. where I'm saying that this is a risky maneuver. If they don't have the answer to it, I'm very well rewarded. But if they do, I'm set back. So how, where do I, yeah, I mean, where do I decide so, when so it's so worth it? Th that's something that in Digimon is, I, so I, like you guys know, I really don't like turning my card sideways uh, for, for game. I very much will like wait an extra turn. To like get a surefire victory, yes. just in case they have like a crimson blaze in security, or I mean that's the other thing is that security exists. But yeah. the thing with Digimon is I don't want to turn sideways because I don't want the reveal moment. Oh, they didn't even have the card in hand; they had it in security and yeah. it's auto triggered and lost me my position. I used to be very much like that. Um, obviously, I started playing Hearthstone and I started watching when I started playing the game. I was introduced to a YouTuber goes by the name of Trump. Ben Ben. Trump HS, <laughs> okay. not to be confused with the uh, ex-con president, whatever he goes by nowadays. Yeah. Um, but he had a series where he was playing a very fast aggro deck where um, the general consensus was, it was called Face Hunter, and the general consensus was always just do damage to face. Yeah, you hit, just you hunt face. Just keep attacking. They put something on the board, 
attack their face if you can. If you have to attack it, kill it, and then attack their face. That's, that is just how you play. Yeah. And the reason he was doing this was he felt that a lot of times when he played the game, he would always go for the surefire, safe um, value, some, is how he described it sometimes, but just always that um, guarantee he would go for. Yeah. And then the problem with card games is you have hidden information. And yeah. so... If you wait too long for the guarantee, you get smacked. Yeah. And so I think I used to be a lot like that until I was exposed to that series. And I still, it's still something that I had to work on when I started playing Digimon was I was waiting too long. Yeah. I mean, my first tournament, I think I had like five draws in. I was playing yeah. green and I would Nidhogg something and I'd clear the board and then I would not swing that Nidhogg. And then I'd build up another Nidhogg. <laughs> Which is and so funny because if there's a card that you can swing without consequence, it's a... Post burst and Nidhog. Yeah, it's doing nothing for you. But I'm, I was so scared of security. I was, what's gonna come out of there? Yeah. A, a tamer, maybe something that's gonna give them tempo. And so, it was definitely an interesting, interesting journey to find because every player is different, right? Yeah. And sometimes you, you definitely have to weigh that risk reward, and I enjoy that a lot in card games. Too. But I, I will say that like Digimon as a game is something that presents a choice to you when you're faced with like, do I attack security or not? But the outcome is like a hundred percent no. Like there's no agency on whether or not. But we just we happens. just discussed that when you use a yeah. cooldown, there's your choice. If someone um, cooldown extends you, there's no agency in that. But you had agency. You but made I, a decision. I will say like, the the most non agency thing I can think about in Digimon is using something like Ancient Greymon coming from raising with like a bunch of cards in the stack that hits over twenty five k DP and is immune to security options. And swinging into your opponent's security stack, clearing everything, and then just playing Blitz Omnimon for game. You have well, no say in what well, I th- there. You did have say, right? You had you turns were, leading it, up to we it. We talked about this mm-hmm. with the loop deck. It, yeah. That's a matter of fighting the setup, not the loop. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. like it's similar to how... Um, I want to say when I was younger, but I wasn't that much younger. But I was still in high school, and I was going down a hill on my longboard. And mm-hmm. I did not realize how steep it was. And... Um, I was picking up some speed, started getting the speed wobbles, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to step off this longboard because this is going a lot faster than I enjoy. And <laughs> I've done this a million times where I'll just jump off my longboard. Have you hurt yourself a lot? No. No? Okay, I was going to say, like, this feels like a, I've broken my leg before and I've learned better. <laughs> I run beside my longboard because, you know, you have to keep the speed that you were going. And I scoop up my longboard and, I, and then I slow down and I start walking. So I'm going too fast. And I said, I'm scared. I'm going to get off the longboard now. And as soon as my foot touched the pavement, Boom, face plant. Like I smacked because I was going fast. Yeah, you were face hunting. And I was not thinking about the fact that, you know, I'm taking grade 12 university physics, um, an object in motion will remain in motion. Sure. Until. Nice flex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did super well in that class. <laughs> um, and I just smacked it in the ground. My longboard went flying. I was covered in uh, blood and cuts. I had no agency. Once I touched the ground, mm-hmm. I was I was falling. By the end of the day, you chose exactly to drag your foot. I chose to step off the longboard, and so you choosing to swing security, you that was the agency. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever outcome you have after that, that's the result of your agency. That's the result of your decision, the decision that you made. Would it feel better if you if you when you attack your opponent? Yep. If they have the opportunity to play a card in response. Before revealing security. Like Blast Evo. 
Something like that, yeah. Like counter time. Does it feel better for you as the attacker if your opponent? The thing has is, I don't get. I don't. I, I here. I I'm an I'm an agency head myself. I'm an instant speed head myself. Yeah. But the reality is, is that I don't. I don't think that you lack agency in that moment. Uh, the truth of the matter is, the moment that's the lowest agency is, the a wyvern's breath gets revealed in security. I I'm gonna I have to kill something. Yes, I can technically choose anything on field, but you have but, to choose something. But I have to choose something. Right. Like I'm, we've both been forced into a scenario that neither of us had really any control over. Well, I think about something like Lilymon Ace, right? Sure. Where like her impact isn't nearly as high as something like Zudamon Ace, but does that mean that it's bad that sh- you had the option of playing her? Like, is if the impact of what you do is low? Does that still does that mean you shouldn't have the choice at all, or is it like a better thing that you have the choice to play the card even though it's I don't, choice I don't is always that, useful? Yeah, but. I don't think that's what we're saying here though. Okay, um, what we're saying is just that you did make the choice, and now at a certain point, in even in instant speed card games, at a certain point you have to accept that if you if I counterspell and you counterspell and I counterspell and you counterspell, eventually we're gonna run out of cards. And we both start with I'll take magic for this example, seven cards in hand. The reality is, is like, yeah, like, it, it, there's only so many counter spells before we're out of cards in hand. Yeah, eventually you over. reach a point where you have no action to make. You have no more agency. For sure. And so in Digimon, when you swing at security, whatever is revealed, that's that's the point there. Is and so I think it's it's immutable. You can't avoid eventually running out of agency. Mm-hmm. And so I think your opponent being able to respond to you attacking, and then I respond to him his response and then he responds to my response and that's just the stack right yeah but we're still going to eventually run out so how how many points do you want to insert the the response timing into the game right so, so i i think what might be helpful because we've, we've played quite a few games some together some separately mm-hmm. uh i'm just started thinking about them like pocket paragons i think we've identified uh at least for what me and jeremiah are looking for seems to achieve the most of what we would refer to as agency because the reality is nothing happens that we don't have control over, and everything we have control over has consequence on the game. Hey man, I love Pocket Paragons. I'm the champion. Yeah, you are the world champion. Yeah, I am the world champion. Yeah, but so that's what I'm saying. Like, like you know, Pocket Paragons achieves that to a great degree. And what I was gonna say is, we played Battle Spirits, we played Digimon, I played Pokemon, played I played Magic, too. I played Commander, I played Exceed, I played Fighting, I played Smash. The reality is, these games all have different amounts of control of agency. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to see from your guys' side these games I've not interacted with, what you guys actually feel did achieve agency a lot more clearly than what we've been playing. You want to talk about agency. I remember, it is funny that you bring up Wyvern's Breath, but you had to choose a target. Yeah. I remember starting Digimon and Gaia Force and security. Yeah. And to me, when I picture Gaia Force, I picture Ragnaros and Hearthstone sending out his giant fireball at... I don't actually know Ragnaros. Okay. So it can't so, catch me up. So Ragnaros is an 8 cost, 8 health, 8 damage minion. Can't attack. Okay. But, so it's like a big blocker? No, um, because not every uh, minion can block. Ah, yes, okay. At the, end of every, at the end of your turn, it'll send out a fireball that does 8 damage to a random enemy. Is so, it, if they, is if it, they, so if they have an empty board, that's, you deal 8, eight damage to 8 damage. You face hunt, as yeah. we say. Yeah. So it's, it's this uh, equivalent of you just having attacked Ragnaros. But it's random. You have no control over it. So to me, Gaia Force flipping security, I'm like, that should be random. You don't get to choose my best Digimon. <laughs> You're a lot more open to randomized mechanics. I do wonder if that's because of your time with Hearthstone. It, I think it is. But 
looking at it now, would I want that randomness in Digimon? No, probably not. Um, but I think that um, randomness exists. There's no way to escape RNG. It's it's present in all games. Yeah, it's it's especially present in every card game because at the end of the day, if I'm drawing cards off the top of my deck, right. I've randomized my access to ability. Except, except for Pocket Paragons. Except for Pocket and Paragons. I think about Pocket Paragons versus Exceed. Both fighting games, both have a system where or X beats Y. But in Pocket Paragons, you have all of your stuff available to you, and everything is open information. Whereas in Exceed, you actually draw cards from a deck. Very similar to Yomi, a, by the way. Right. Yeah, and your moves. Are the only ones you can play are the ones that are in your hand at that time. Yes. So it's not like you're playing a fighting game where you're like, okay, here I'm going to jab and my opponent's going to re- respond with whatever. You go, I don't have jab in my hand. I can't I can't jab. No, and, and Whereas so, in pocket, you can, but it's just going to be on cooldown until you can get it back. Yeah, so I, I know that I've, I've heard that uh, Exceed has been described before as, because there's no deck building in Exceed. Exceed, you are given a deck, that is your character, that is your kid, you can shuffle it up and obviously you have randomized access to your abilities. But your opponent has perfect knowledge of what your abilities are. They actually are. get a move card. It tells yes. you all of their moves. Yes, so that way, so you know, and this is everything they could possibly do. And they, you all share the same basic abilities. Yes. I so. think Pocket Paragons is actually one of the only games I can think of with zero randomness in it. And yeah. I'm not aware of any of the newer expansion cards, if they have any, like, roll the dice. No, kind of I, I, I have not seen any randomness be introduced into the game it's a, it's, a, it's a completely open information game with the exception of tournament format where you inherit abilities from other characters yes but that's still not random no it's a choice that you make but it's yeah. hidden information from your opponent mm-hmm. right but even if you look at something like chess right the starting player is randomly determined yeah and pocket paragon doesn't even have that it avoids that entirely it avoids no first turn advantage that's true that's yeah true. i think that pocket paragon does a phenomenal phenomenal job of avoiding rng yeah. yes i mean it's it's really interesting though because like with exceed with yomi with uh, with any game like that the idea is that oh you all have the same abilities and you know exactly what your opponents do therefore your level of agency is higher but it's not true because you don't have all of your options available to you to make those choices even though they're available to you so you know what you can do you know what beats what but you just can't make them at the time well i think that's part of um because you mentioned earlier in pocket paragons as your opponent has more cards in trash in their um discard your agency goes up mm-hmm. because you know more of what's in their hand but i think you're conflating agency with knowledge and i think they are two different things right because as you just said with exceed um just because you know all the cards in their deck you don't know um that doesn't mean you have access to all of them yeah, yeah. I, I actually th- I, I think that's a good point actually you're right. you're, yeah because it, when I'm saying when we're saying pocket paragons, we're saying we have access to every card that in our deck, and we can like choose any of them. Uh, if I'm talking about magic, I might have ex- I have access to every card in my hand, but I also can't choose any every one of them because I can only play on curve. Mm. It's based on my mana base. Mm-hmm. And then I'm talking about uh, exceed. I'm saying well, I have access to every card in my deck, but I only have a certain uh, subset of them available in my hand to play. Mm-hmm. So even if it's in my hand, I can play anything. You can only play that subset. So it definitely is access to abilities and then those abilities having meaningful differences in when I choose them matters. I, I was told a long time ago uh, that if you want to break fighting games down to their simplest format, just think about rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors is a randomized game. You know, obviously we all have preferences. I'm a, I'm a paper turn one guy. I'm is big, is big rock, rock, paper, scissors a randomized game? Yeah. You have an equal chance of winning with any uh, uh, choice. Uh, it two two people playing against each other it is a randomized outcome i was told a long time ago because the game that we played on a train and it is 
play rock, paper, scissors. So when you play rock, paper, scissors, it's randomized. But if you add any noise to that system, it becomes non-random. And the best example of it is we're going to play rock, paper, scissors until one of us has won twice with the same throw. So if I've won two, two games of rock, paper, scissors with rock, I win the match. If I've won two with scissors, I win the match. If you won two with paper, you win the match. When you said noise, you didn't mean literal noise. No, I just mean uh, confusion to the system, something to influence our decision making. Yeah. yeah. Because that amount of influence means that even though the first throw is random, me and Jeremiah play, I win with, he wins with, I win with paper. And we've established our you got it. <laughs> I win with paper. You got it. He now is scared of paper, which means he doesn't like to use rock. I see what you're saying. And he knows that I like paper, so he's incentivized to use scissors. This is what I was going to bring up. that dynamic, all that noise has done, has completely changed what was a randomized system into a fighting game where I'm trying to outthink him and he's trying to outthink me. If you watch any competitive game of death, anime or whatever you want to say, they'll say, at one point, they'll say, let's play rock and scissors. And then one, one character will turn to the other and he'll say, I'm going to play rock. He introduces noise. He threatens his opponent. And that noise is what makes it interesting. I mean, agency is important in gaming because like, you have a set of rules that are given to you and it says, you need to act within this box. And you're like, okay, well, can I make this decision? No. Can I make this decision? Yes. But if less decisions are available to you, does that mean your decisions are less valid? Or do they mean they're more impactful? It, it, it's just that, like, ultimately... Uh, we, we have a phrase in, in uh, card games that I was very confused by when we first brought it up, which is piloting a deck. And that confused and upset me because I like to think about uh, games where I'm like, I'm making my own choices and they're mine. Nobody can have them. Oh, I see uh, what you mean. And when I pilot a deck, if I say me and Noah would make the same decision in the same situation, that's upsetting to me because I, I didn't make a choice. It was just that the deck... Once the deck was given to me, there was a, a right answer, and we both would have made it. Is mm-hmm. that what the word pilot means to you? To me, that's what pilot means, as opposed to, like, play. Mm-hmm. So pilot, to me, just means that you are controlling the outcomes of what's happening. Interesting. When I, you pilot a plane, you're controlling where it's going. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just word association. I think the reality is that I don't hear the word pilot outside of card games, so I associate it as... Well, pilot, the, you, you pilot mechas. Sure, but... I don't. I don't. This guy didn't even go to planes first. <laughs> I hate white decks in pocket paragon or in, uh, in battle spirits. It's gotta be good. I don't hey. need. I don't need mechas. No, I love battle Because to me, I think like I think pilot just means you control it. But to you, it feels like you're following. Well, I think it's just good because because card games have less agency than fighting games. I play fighting games. I pilot card games. You pilot the characters. I, pi- I mean, yes, I do. Because you aren't Link. But you're piloting the character link. I am piloting link, and there are there are fighting games where I do play a girl inside of a robot. So. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> you're actually a mecha. Uh. <laughs> but that is interesting that you. I associate the word a lot with not having agency for sure. So interesting. Okay, but what about the word autopilot? Because sure. to me, what you're describing feels that when you hear pilot, you you have the choices made for you. Like, and so that feels like this actually autopilot. is going to be an interesting dialogue because I was going to say autopilot to me is like when I'm playing autopilot in a game. Again, in a fighting game or a smash game, I'm just making easy decisions that come quickly to me because yep. I don't want to have to think about the harder choices. I'm like, usually you go autopilot when some, you're facing somebody bad and you're like, I don't even really need to play the game. I'm just going to I'm just gonna mash 5P and it's going to beat them. It's when uh, you and I play smash. 
Yeah, exactly. But so, but when I talk about autopiloting in uh, in Digimon, I mean, first of all, half my cards have Greymon written on them, and then I just it just means like, okay, what choice am I going to make each turn? And it's like, well, there's seven cards in hand, and one of them makes sense, and six of them don't make sense this hey, turn. Well, and then half the red players in our community play the other six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but when you play a purple deck. I'm making a choice every turn. I said, I said, draw three trash three. That's five choices I made. Because uh, while I do agree that there's there have been times where you, there's one correct decision, there's d- lots of times where um, you have multiple decisions to make and it's not as obvious, right? Yes. Like think about this: in the current game state, you go level three in the back. Yeah. You've got a memory setter in hand. You got a level four in hand. You have a training. You have got a memory boost. What that, do you do? That you know what? That actually is a good example of a lot of choices. Uh, depends what setter. It's the lowest cost. It searches a card. Well, it's the same cost as level four. Also, a setter... But it uh, reduces your level a, four a, for a, next a, turn. And a setter could let me play a boost and a training next turn. Or, if they don't have a setter of their own, go into my level four, play the training... And choke them to and one. And choke them to one. So that, that's what I mean where... Don't digivolve the rookie. Play the rookie on field, lose it, and then you can't digivolve. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean when I say, like, I definitely think that the game isn't autopilot like you have choices like that to make um there are but a lot of a lot of times your opening hand is not so varied right but even if you have two choices to make memory setter or champion in the back wait what's your choice in that in that five card hand? depends the matchup situation like yeah it really depends on what deck i'm playing and what i'm playing against i think that if the um, card in hand is an icemon scatter mode i'm pretty incentivized (laughs) And yeah, exactly. It's, you want to play so scatter mode play in training. blue flare. I'll play blazing memory boost turn one every single day of the week. But you could play the training, find a card for next turn, and reduce the digivolution cost of your champion. Well, there have been lots of times where I have to choose between um, a training or a memory setter, and I'd like to set up the memory setter because I want to guarantee my memory next turn. But I also don't have the all the cards I need in hand yet. So do I play the training first? But I'm also gonna have the chance to draw at the start of my turn. And what if I training and like grab that card that I was just gonna draw anyway? Yeah. You know? So there's those choices that they're like I like to call them micro decisions. Yeah. Um that build up into the macro of the overall game. And I think a lot of people dismiss them as I think a common a common sentiment in when someone starts out playing a card game, any card game, was I couldn't have done anything different. Yeah. Oh! There was just like... I was forced. Yeah, like, uh, luck screwed me over, however you want to go about it, and they don't really take the time to look at the choices they made leading up to that. Yeah. Oh, man. And I think I was really bad at that when I played Hearthstone. Do you remember when, when you and I first started playing together in Digimon? I, could, I was getting so mad, and I'd be like, what did I do wrong to lose there? And you'd yeah. be like, nah, man, your security just screwed you. Like, sometimes sometimes things just suck. And I'm like, yeah, but like I want, I want to analyze. I yeah. want to look at, like, what decisions led me down this path if i had done x instead of y or whatever how would the game have ended up yeah no and there's there's definitely there's always something to look back on and sometimes that something you're looking back on is the fact that there was nothing you could have done differently sometimes yeah. they turn to otk you yeah, so now you do have to realize it was outside of control i will say that so i don't know how you guys feel about this and this might be bad to state on a uh you know obsessively card game focused podcast but at, at the end of the day, I think that the moment I've shuffled, the moment I've pile shuffled my deck, yeah. I I have lost 
99% of my agency. That's because you get called. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 99% of my agency occurs in deck building. And once I've sat down to play, if, again, I'm in a, if the game goes in a way that me and Noah would make the same choices and have the same outcome, then I don't feel like I had a lot of agency. The, the number one determinant of the agency there was the shuffle. Yeah. And then I came second. Well, okay. I'll, I'll give a shout out to someone else in the community because that's our thing now. Yeah. Shout out to Hayden. Barely know him. Good guy. No, actually, I'll, I'll shout out Hayden. Hayden, you're a good guy and I know you. I like him. Barely know him. I remember first time I met him in a parking lot. I was giving him some uh, some Gielmans, I think. Some promo sure. Gielmans. Drug and he said, Gielmans. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, I've heard about you. And I'm like, from who? How, how are people hearing about me? Yeah. Um, and I've seen him a few times and then cool guy from what I've seen. And he always has like, he likes to he likes to hear out people in the Discord. Yeah. He likes to hear what people have to say. Um, because, well, I don't think that you should blindly listen to what other people have to say. I do think that there's value in listening to what other people have to say and informing your own opinion. And I think he does that. Um, but the other day he made a comment and said that at most all card games are moderately competitive. Yeah. And I think he was using competitive in a way that a lot of people don't view it. But I, I align with that. Yeah. I think that when you start taking skill um, out of a game... It starts lowering the competitive because I can be competitive at roulette, but that doesn't make it a competitive game. Yeah, like you can you can do better. So 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 there's an element of this. Uh, we we're talking about we mentioned poker for this before, and like poker is fundamentally it's, you know the gambling game. Who wins a given match is uh, the again there's a, a layer of skill, but like with card all card games, it's the shuffle is what matters most for who wins a one game of poker. The skill from poker comes from the bluff and it comes from risk management it comes from saying i'm gonna bet this much this game this much this game i'm trying to win big lose low because i'm gonna have a pretty similar number of good and bad hands but if i you know stretch out across an infinite number of hands i'm gonna win against one given opponent an equal number of times so what i bet how and when is what matters which is why poker controls for that by having a blind you are forced to bet the more time you take, the more games you take before you actually start going in, the more the game is going to punish you and say, all right, pay, pay me $5 every time. Yep. So I think that uh, uh, like that is a competitive experience. And they've just learned what skills they want to measure because they said the skill that we want to measure of who has a better hand is just not a skill that is going to produce consistent outcomes. The skill that's going to produce consistent outcomes is Who's better at winning successive hands and tricking their opponent into thinking they're going to win when they're not going to win? Here's here's my takeaway. Because uh, Noah, you mentioned micro decisions being like a, a major part of decision making that you seem to you seem to value more. Would you say? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So uh, Jeremiah, I heard you say that less options. Can create a more can create more interesting choices. So, do you not actually like those micro decisions? Do you want like fewer big decisions to occur? Well, sometimes I I think that like just having more options available to you is not necessarily going to mean your choices are more impactful. No, in fact, I think the more micro decisions you're making, I'd imagine each one is less impactful on yeah. its on its own at least. Yeah, I mean, if you have a lot of decisions available to you, that's nice. But it first of all, it makes it less likely that you're making the 
correct or more ideal choice in each scenario. But just because there's more decisions being made, it doesn't mean that they're more impactful decisions. They're just things that you can do. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, I if I have 18 Digimon cards in hand, I presumably have at least 18 plays available. It's like when you're revealing cards from searching a card and the memory boost, and you're like, I'm going to order them this way just in case I get to those last three cards in my deck, and I end up drawing in the order that I want to. Yeah. There's a couple decks that'll make it to Deco. I mean, you're drawing through your deck a lot in the game, but the like that is a very small decision that I'd say doesn't come up as often as like we'd expect it to, but we still want to make that choice, yep. even though it might not be that impactful. Well, you have to think about it now. Like decks are running memory boosts and trainings and searchers, mm -hmm. and so the first search of a game, those cards are probably moving up to the middle of your deck. Like mm -hmm. you're probably hitting those cards again. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not for something like security control where you're at most drawing one card a turn. Um, oh, 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 blade of the true. Yeah. But for a lot of other decks now, like those decisions that you, how you order those cards you put at the bottom are impactful. It's always been impactful. Um, but it's become more impactful yeah, over time. Yeah, right. for sure. Well, I, what makes me feel funny about uh, Digimon in particular, this is a little bit less related to agency as a general concept, but in Digimon in particular, I often get hit with a sensation where I'll, I'll reveal top four cards in my deck and I go, it doesn't make sense for me to grab that level six right now because... You know, whatever. I don't have the line, or I need card draw from taking my level four. But like, there's some reason that's going to encourage me to put my Diaboromon Ace at the bottom of my deck. Mm -hmm. But then I'm filled with a sensation of, so I don't have a Diaboromon Ace in my hand. So I want to put it at the top of the pile because I want to, you know, get to a Diaboromon Ace as fast as possible. There's three other Diaboromon Aces in the deck. I'm going to find them before I get back down to it. Yeah. So even though I don't have my level six in hand, when I reveal a level six in my first, uh, my first draw and I don't take it, I often put it at the bottom of the pile. That's interesting because I think that as you get to that late game where you're nearing the bottom of your deck or you cycle through, even halfway through your deck, I feel like I'd rather have multiple Megas at that point because, I mean, the game is in a much different state than it used to be where by the time you've gotten to your first Mega, you should, you should have probably won. Um, but now, like, back in the day, I would put it to the top because... As, a, as you get deeper into the game, similar to like something like Magic, right? Yeah. You'd want to put your higher statted, higher mana cost um, creatures, minions. Creatures. Near the top, right? Because as you get into the late game, you know that this card, I mean, I promise you, I, pro I, I promise you, well, even without shuffling, I promise you, if you put a card at the bottom of your deck, you're not seeing it again. Yeah. Right. But you understand what I mean. Yeah. That you would you want rather to float it up yeah, sooner yeah. because the deeper you get into late game the more you can spend mm -hmm. um and that concept semi applies to digimon even though you don't yeah, have it, more yeah. mana to spend you have more resources available to yeah you. you might have more digimon on field you might have a you know, higher level on average your mega might be like your way to actually win the game like the way you close things out like you might be closer to winning by playing your mega yeah. at that point but i do think that Something like ordering the bottom of your deck, which I would consider a micro decision, is something that a lot of people, maybe a lot of newer players, don't bother doing. Yeah. No. no and then maybe they cycle through their deck and they're one card off that they could have put at the top and they lose and they say, there's nothing I could have done. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know? That. Maybe right? you would have drawn the better card you wanted. And there's like those decisions like, do I play a memory setter now um, or do I play a search card? Do I digivolve on the back? Those decisions 
while they may seem insignificant, they really change the course of the game. So you think there are like more decisions being made and their impact might be small in a vacuum, but they're still... They start to compound. They, yeah, they compound. Yeah, that's, okay. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of similar to why I enjoy... I, I enjoy micro-decisions as well. And it, same thing with why I enjoy deck building. The reality is adding one more copy of a card yeah. can have a big impact on what my expectation of what, how quickly I see it, how frequently I see it, and like you know, depending on how necessary it is to my deck, like whether I can find out. Isn't uh, isn't fighting games also largely a lot of like micro decisions? For sure. I mean, the reality is every this is uh, t- again taken to its ideal form is an overstatement, but every um, every frame. So 60 times a second, you are making a micro decision. Mm-hmm. As obviously taken to an extreme, uh, but it, even taken to a, a much smaller portion of it, choosing to hold forward for an additional few frames compared to what somebody else in the same position would do, that's the basis of shimmying and footsies and playing within my opponent's threat range. So even though it feels like, oh, it's, you know, it's only a couple frames of doing a certain action, those certain frames define play styles and really help with uh, in terms of player expression. I actually, it's so funny. We've gotten so deep into this conversation about agency. What I value is the ability to express myself, to say, I am playing the way that I want to play and it's meaningfully different from how somebody else would play. And I've alluded to that idea, yeah. but really that's what it comes down to. I really want to see myself in the game. And it's funny because you, you mentioned piloting and you said that if I would play the same way that you would play, then there's really no skill expression or agency, right? Less, yeah. But, yeah. but almost every time I watch you play or you watch me play, we're always so <laughs> confused by each other's actions, and we play so wildly different. Even playing the like we do, I, 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 there's a certain element of, um, I think uh, sometimes it, sometimes it can be easy to think of things through like their idealized form, like oh, we're all playing, you know like machines the perfect way and the reality is we're not i mean even though i see digimon as like less agency than fighting you we're not playing identically identically it's more just the fear of the boogeyman of what if we're playing identically Mm -hmm. that that can be uh upsetting and it's why i i stray away from decks where there are few there are fewer meaningful choices to make purple listen you can like purple or not you got to make a lot of choices. You do, yeah. Like, uh, I would say that you make more choices than any other color as a blanket statement. I mean, you guys look at a lot of the ways that I play, and you question, like, why I'm doing certain things. And then when I explain my thought process to you, you're like, I see why you're thinking that way. But <laughs> Here, here's why I don't think that's as beneficial as doing it this way. And, like, the fact that that conversation exists is, I, I think that's, like, maybe not unique to card games, but very, very, uh, it's very, very important to what card games represent is like you said, expression and problem solving in different ways, uh, to reach an end goal, understanding the core identity of like a strategy and being like, how can I still, how can I still perform actions to, to work towards this strategy? Um, while also making like informed decisions that feel good to me. Right. There's going to be obviously like more decisions that are like better for what the deck wants to do. But as long as you understand, like, okay, I'm playing a red deck. I want to go fast. And you're red like, deck wins. You're like, yeah. Maybe you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to attack. I'm going to turn my card sideways, deal, deal them some damage. Like, you know what? 
it's not like wrong but you have to think of it on a greater scale of like tempo you have to think about like how your opponent can get back to you or, or come back at you how can they remove your card on the field um was it valuable to deal them the damage at that point you know a, a lot of factors go into play into even just a small thing like that like we always talk about how red decks don't take a lot of skill but <laughs> there are skill testing decisions to be made playing red and like one player that has a better understanding of of a game or a certain deck archetype will play it vastly differently than a player who understands the general concept. Um, even though these players are maybe describing the same thing, they're looking at it in very different ways. Yeah, and I think that's pretty unique to card games. I think so too. Yeah. So I I I think that there's definitely a lot left on the table. There's, a, there's definitely some choices, some micro decisions we made about what to go over, but. I think for right now, I think we'll call it there on our conversation on agency. Yeah, this is. A, I, this is a, I think. Uh, I think, topic. you know, obviously they already know that we're in the EDT time zone. <laughs> that we uh, that we originated in the Hamilton Digimon community, and we're like well, forty minutes, over to forty time. minutes northeast uh, <laughs> drive. Uh, because you know what? At the end of the day, I think that eagle-eared listeners deserve to find us. There's a. But you're making so they don't have to be eagle-eared. Well, I also wanted them to feel like now we're rewarded. Looping. <laughs> we're looping. You know, there's hey, a go hang at Ian's house, guys. It's all good. I want to have a discussion about changing the ending of our podcast. You want me to say night, guys? Yeah. Why are we saying night? Because it's night Lord, right now. Lord Nightmon. Lord Nightmon. Yeah. Think about all the people that are listening to it during the day. I didn't know. say night, guys, but like the last two episodes, it make you feel bad. Yeah, I was making you feel bad. No, I was feeling bad. I was that you I was, weren't doing. I, my heroin fix was like not being reached. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I think we need to come up with a better conclusion. Like just like a goodbye or something, or take care, salutations, salutations, peace and love, farewell, listeners. Yeah, I just don't like implying that it's like it's like starting off the podcast with like good morning everybody. It's ten thirty p.m. It's yeah, what kind of morning? Yeah, where do you know where your kids are? <laughs> you know, end it with a good afternoon. I don't know if you watched Spirited, the Christmas movie that it's Ryan the, Reynolds uh... and Will Ferrell made. Oh, I do know. Yeah, yeah. And in it, good afternoon is. Intended to be like what's the, opposite, what's the opposite of digital gate open? Digital gate closed. Yeah. Analog gate closed. Analog man. Analog wall. Wall. Yeah. Trash card, trash analog wall closed. This is the Arata Sonata signing out. Oh no, that's awful. Signing off for now. Ta ta for now. <laughs> TTYL. Talk to you later. <laughs> I think I think we have an established pattern again. I, I, I don't like it's... night guys. I want to put it on the table. That's why we're talking. Well, about. Let's say Nightmon. Alright, All right, night, night Lord Mon, Night Guys. Alright, Night Mons. Night Mons. No, don't end it there. <laughs> <laughs>